We're going through that series all summer. But before we do that, we want to make sure we uh, acknowledge some of the people that do all the hard work in our church. Anybody ever seen this guy? He, uh, uh, this guy, Ron, right here. We caught him stealing some signs outside, so uh, we tried to catch him before he got it. So this is it. But Ron is part of the council, but he's also just one of the hard workers. He's here regularly setting up, tearing down. He's just one of the hardest workers. Him and his wife uh, are just a blessing to this church. So we want to acknowledge Ron and all that he does, that he is noticed by uh, his people and his congregation. So let's give him another hand. Today, the story that we're going to talk about in the Bible in this Nameless to Notice series is, a, is, a messi- uh, is part of the book of Mark, and it's called The Faith of a Gentile Woman, and it's, it's, it's a Syrophoenician woman. It might be in your Bible. There's multiple names for it, but it's a really powerful short story, and if you, if you really hear it, you will see what this woman did to be noticed by God and how she reacted to Jesus. So... Um, the whole point of this series is not to have you come into church and go, oh, yeah, I'm unnoticed and I'm not wanted by God. That's, it's the complete opposite. And so what we do during our series is we give you a memory verse. And by the end of these 12 weeks that we go through this nameless to notice, this memory verse should be etched into your heart. And should speak to you very strongly about how God knows you and how much he loves for you, how much he loves you and what he thinks about you and how he sees you. It says in Psalm 139, 1 through 3, Oh Lord, you have examined my heart and know everything about me. Everybody say everything about me. You know when I sit down or I stand up, you know my thoughts even when I'm far away. As I was on vacation, I didn't even take a break from Jesus even though I went to medieval times and... I uh, did lose myself for a moment, but I came back, (laughs) didn't lose my salvation because we lost, but I'll move on. You see me when I travel and when I rest at home, you know everything I do. Everybody say, you know everything I do. And sometimes that's a blessing, but for some that's not living that life that's right with God, that's scary. So he looks at us and he says, I love you. I care for you. I know you personally. I know you and I know everything you do. And when you're living right with God, that's exciting. And when you're far away from God, it's the scariest thing on this earth. So if you'll stand with me, we're going to read this beautiful story of the faith of a Gentile woman. And uh, we'll see how it relates to us in our sermon series. Uh, FYI, I am a little dyslexic. And so my daughters always laugh at me when I skip words. I think it's funny. Uh, it's just who I am. So let's read Mark seven twenty four to 30. Then Jesus left Galilee and went to the northern region of Tyre. He didn't want anyone to know which house he was staying in, but he couldn't keep it a secret. Right away, a woman who had heard him about heard about him came and fell at his feet. Her little girl was possessed by an evil spirit. She begged him to cast out the demons from her daughter. Since she was a Gentile born in Syrian Phoenicia, Jesus told her, First, I should feed the children of my own, my own family, the Jews. It isn't right to take food from the children and throw it to dogs. She replied, That is true, Lord, but even dogs under the table are allowed to eat the scraps from the children's plate. Good answer, he said. Now go home, for the demon has left your daughter. And when she arrived home, she found her little girl lying quietly in bed. And the demon was gone. 
Today, let's pray. If you're struggling with something in your life, if you have some sort of demon, if you have some sort of addiction, if you have something that's holding you back, why don't you pray, God, help me through this. Give me something so that I can grow from this and take this little crumb and let it grow to be something beautiful. Will you pray with me? Father in heaven, we give you thanks. Thank you for the words that you've given us. The word of God that have blessed us. Thank you how they transform people each and every day, one day at a time. Lord, I ask that your spirit is roaming around in here, working on our hearts, speaking to us, giving us a message of hope and increasing our faith. We love you, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. Go ahead and be seated. So when we read this story, it's a very awkward story. And the way that I read the Bible is I sit and and maybe I do it very unhealthily, but I'm like, what the heck is going on? What does this have to do with anything? And so I start asking some questions. And when I do that, it starts to fill some of the gaps that I have in my head. And that's how I study the Bible. And not only do I study it that way, I always look and say, how does the word of God in this context relate to me? So I live a life of reading the Bible and then try and apply it each and every day. And so hopefully you'll get that out of the message. But what is going on here? This story is sandwiched between two feedings, a feeding of the 5,000 and a feeding of the 4,000. And so... uh, that sandwich was a joke that didn't go over very well, but it was a pun not intended to be funny, but it was really funny in my head when I said it. Um, but it's, there's these two feedings, one in chapter 6 and one in chapter 8, and it says the feedings of the 5,000. And what does that means was that there was 5,000 people, it said 5,000 men, and they didn't count the women and children. Now, if you took just my family, I have four girls, a dog, a lizard, and a bird. So if you just took my family, you would add four other people to the, to the, to the count. And that would mean there would be about 20,000, 25,000 people. Jesus was having these enormous crowds coming. And he, he was struggling with these huge crowds because they wanted something that they, he didn't want for them. They wanted something that he wasn't, didn't really want to give them. What was he struggling for? The, one of the questions that I ask myself when I read this, what is he running away from? And the question is that we should understand here in this text is what is he running away from? Just like we have today, there was political tension at that time. There was political tension. These crowds at Jesus, as he was preaching on a Sunday like today, he was having thousands and thousands of people wanting to hear his messages. And what they wanted from him, Jesus didn't want. He wasn't really offering them. They wanted a king. They wanted a a, a new Messiah that was going to change the political structure. And he wanted to be the savior of the universe. So there was an issue there. What he wanted was to become the Messiah that had been written about. What they wanted was a political leader to come in and thwart the rule of the Roman Empire. That's what they wanted. And that's why these crowds were starting to come before him. And so Jesus is like, I need to get away from, I need to get away from this because my time has not yet come. Now, on that note, I've been gone for 10 days. Me and my wife were gone for seven days, but I took a couple days off before that. 
There's been a lot of stuff that's happened. Not only has my dear mother-in-law passed, but there's been a lot of political tension with all kinds of stuff, with laws and racial tension and stuff. And so I want to kind of talk a little bit about political uh, stuff. Now, if you know us at the church and myself and Jeremy and even Randy, I always tell people uh, that we teach both sides. So I want to teach both sides of politics today. If you're a liberal, you're going to hear about it. And if you're a, 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 Dem, a Republican, you're going to hear about it as well. I want to teach both sides of what, who Jesus is. Jesus is a liberal and he's a conservative. And let me give you this. I, I wrote a couple of things. Jesus is, a, is liberal with his love. He is very liberal with his love. If you're here today and you feel unloved, you're not talking to the Jesus I know. He is very liberal with his love. But Jesus is extremely conservative. His word teaches us conservative morals and values. If you start living a life for Jesus and reading his word, the world will talk to you automatically and say you're living a conservative life. Like it or not, even if you vote the opposite. Jesus is liberal with his grace. If anyone comes before God and accepts Jesus no matter where they're from or what they've done or, 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 or what race or creed or anything, he will accept them because the Bible says his grace is enough. He's liberal with his grace. But but he's also conservative in our worldly desires. He says, don't go after everything in the world. Be conservative in how you live your life. And the worldly desires, those worldly desires will destroy you and the things around you. And that's what we get from the word of God. Jesus is very liberal for, in forgiveness. What does that mean? How many times does the Bible say we should forgive? Anybody? Well, I know you were going to answer. Well, thanks, buddy. William, I appreciate it. He's always... Guys that... Uh, um, Unbelievable with the word. It says 497 times 70. And then once you've gotten to that 490, what do you do? Do it again. So unlimited forgiveness. Jesus is very liberal for his forgiveness. But he then says, I need you to live as a humble servant on this earth. Very conservative the way you live. If you were a servant and you have it a king or a master and you start talking smack to the master... He's like off with his head and there's no longer. So he wants you to live conservatively under the authority that's been given to us. And so he has liberal and conservative tendencies. The idea that I'm trying to get to you is this, that we are not to be judging. We are not to be condemning. And beyond that, if Jesus is here today as he is, he's saying, stop worrying about what's going on. We have a sovereign God who is in sovereign control and we need to trust in whatever he's doing, whatever side that you vote on, Jesus doesn't care. He's in control. Does that make sense? Jesus is not right. He's not left. He's not Democrat. He's not uh, Republican. He yearns to be your center. He yearns to have you uh, focus on him in everything that you do. And when you center on Jesus Christ, you will become not independent. You will become codependent in who he is. You will become dependent on him. And everything and every law and every relational tension that we have will go through the eyes of Jesus Christ. Does that make sense? Jesus wants to be your center. He doesn't care where you vote. He's not for election. He's for your life. He's for your heart. And he wants to be here anyways. Enough of the political ranting stuff. If, he were, if, he, if there was one thing that he would say is focus more on him and less on all the outside things. The, the, the social media and the TV. And don't let people and pundits turn you one side or the other. Don't hate people. He wants us to love one another. So anyways, we'll move on. The, the, the reason why I bring that up is Jesus is having the same type of political tension. 
There's political tension. There's people, the Sadducees and Pharisees are having conflict with the Roman rule. There's a bunch of tension. If you're watching the Bible AD, they did a great job of showing the conflict between the Romans and, and, the, uh, and the Pharisees and Sadducees. There was a bunch of conflict. And, and, so there was a, and then there was a group of zealots trying to find a way to get rid of Rome. And so there's a bunch of political tension there. And the Jewish people wanted Jesus to be elected as king. They wanted to go to the box and elect Jesus as king. And they wanted the king to be led by, by Moses out of the darkness into the light. Or they wanted a king like David or Solomon. And Jesus is like, that's not the king that I am. I'm not going to be an earthly king. I'm going to be your heavenly savior and your heavenly king. So what he does was, is these people are coming and they, they want him to be the new political leader. And he says, I need to get away. My time has not yet come. And so that's kind of where we're at in, in, this, in the story today. So what I want to do is I want to give you the big idea first. I want you to just know if Jesus was here telling the story, this is how he would translate it in the way that I see the word of God. And, and here's the big idea. And, and, and it's this, the meaning of the text of the Syrophoenician woman, if it was spoke today and Jesus was going to give it to us, would say that the word of God, the gospel message of God that, that we are having is mainly for those that are faithful and hungry for the word of God. So if you're here today and you read regularly and you pray and you're serving and you're offering your life to God, those that gospel message is for you today. You will grab something from this message and you will grow from this message. But then Jesus would say, but it doesn't mean that the people that aren't sold out for Jesus, those that aren't sold out for Jesus, it doesn't mean that they can't receive nourishment from this message. It's saying that even a crumb that could fall on the ground and into your lap can change your life. That nourishment could transform your life, your marriage, your house, your finances, your addiction, and you can find a new life or transformation. I think that's how Jesus would explain that. So that's the big idea as we go through this message of this Syrophoenician uh, woman that uh, has an encounter with Jesus. So let's just kind of go through the verses and see what we can draw from this text. In verse 24, it says, Jesus left Galilee and went into the northern region of Tyre. He didn't want anyone to know which house he was staying at, but he couldn't keep it a secret. This guy was becoming legendary, and what he was doing was starting to spread all throughout the whole region, and it was probably making it to all aspects of the Mediterranean and, and to the world, I'm sure, because people were traveling from that part port and going, look at what this man is doing, and look at the miracles and how he's ministering and the way things were. So Jesus, was his message was getting out to many people outside side of Israel. And he, he wanted to go to a house to, to keep secret. He wanted to go away from the ministry for a little bit. Me and my wife went on vacation to get away from ministry, not because we don't like you. We just need a break from you. I knew that that was one that for sure was going to work today. Thank you. Um, but we need Jesus stepped away because people wanted more than what he was ready to offer him. And his time has yet come. And so in this passage, this is one of the only occasions in the gospel where Jesus ministers outside his region, outside of his territory. All of the other times he's inside of uh, Israel and Jerusalem ministering. But here he's outside and there's a picture of this. Uh, region that Jesus was ministering to. You see the green, that's where he did it. And if you look up above in that red, that's the Phoenician area. That's where he kind of escapes out of Galilee. 
Now, if you want to read this story in a different light, if you go to Matthew 15, 21 to like 27, there's another story. It's a little bit expanded and it tells the same story. Now, in Matthew 15, the word, the Greek word that they use here, it's called, it says it's re, they withdraw. Jesus is withdrawn from Galilee and he goes into uh, this Phoenician area. Now, it's interesting that in Mark's gospel, three times Jesus has to withdraw from Galilee. In Mark chapter 4, verses 35, he withdraws after he performs a bunch of miracles because the crowds start to gather. And in Mark 6, verses 631, he feeds the 5,000. And these people are like treating him like a rock star. And he's like, I've got to get out of here. And he gets in the boat and sails across the, 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 the lake. And t- today, he's having communications with some of the Pharisees. And they're challenging him. And he's like, we got to get out of here. We're going to get strung up if we don't leave. So he withdraws. And here's the thing that I want you guys to focus on today. I gave you the big idea, but the people that were drawing, that Jesus was drawing in for a crowd, he was having these huge crowds. They wanted some of who Jesus was, but I don't think they wanted all of who Jesus was. Let me explain that a little bit more. The people that were coming, the 5,000 plus their family and children, they wanted miracle Jesus. They wanted a Jesus when they wake up that they would receive a miracle and go, oh man, I'm broke today. Miracle Jesus, hook me up with some ATM money, right? Or, oh my gosh, miracle Jesus, my relationship is broken. Help my relationship out. They wanted miracle Jesus because that's what he was doing in ministry. He was healing the sick and casting out demons. But I don't think they really wanted the full gospel Jesus. From Genesis to Revelations, they weren't really experiencing the full gospel. They wanted miracle Jesus. The question is, what Jesus do you want? Hey, I I got miracles in my life that I want. I wanted a miracle to happen last week. It didn't happen. Jesus is part of his ministries, his miracles, but it's not everything. If anything, it's not even 80% of his ministry. It's about 5%. It's a small part of it. We can't focus on Jesus as miracle Jesus. He loves to do them. And when he does them, it's a great testimony. But there's a more than that. We're to live in our gospel. And we're going to go through some of these things. And we can show the grace of God by how we go through that. And that's the full gospel, Jesus. What Jesus do you want? Trust me. It would be great if we had miracle Jesus all the time. But what we have is the full gospel, Jesus. And his gospel trains us and teaches us how to grow. I hope that makes sense. Verse 25 says, right away, a woman who had heard about him came and fell at his feet. Her little girl was possessed by an evil spirit and she begged him to cast out the demons from her daughter. She comes before the Lord. She's not a Christian. She's not in church, but she falls down before the savior of the world and says, Lord, I need help. She's not even part of his congregation. She's not part of anything, but she goes in a a way that we are as Christians are to go before our Savior. On our knees, hands wide open, saying, Lord, I've got this mountain to climb. Will you help me climb it? She comes before the Lord in the right way. She intercedes for her child. Who here has ever interceded with a family member? My mom, my dad, they've had to intercede for me. Three or four years at a church before I even stepped into the church, everybody knew my, my problems, which is kind of embarrassing. But, uh, you know, when we intercede for people, great things happen. This woman comes because the love of a family member, the love of a kid, the strongest love that you can have, she intercedes for her kid. 
And then I want to begin the next statement so that we can talk a little bit about what a Phoenician person is. It says, she was, um, she, since she was a Gentile born in Syrian Phoenicia. Now, the question to me when I read it is, what is a Phoenician? So if you go and Google it, you'll get all kinds of interesting factoids about what a Phoenician is. And here's what it is. A Phoenicians, the Phoenicians became well known in 1250 BC. They were the foremost, they were the best navigators of their time, and they were traders. And here's a picture. A picture. They were focused on the Mediterranean. So these were their trade routes that the Phoenicians would do. And what they were, were they were master businessmen that focused on trading and marketing. Now, I have a degree in marketing, so I love the idea that the industry of marketing was really perfected with these Phoenicians. They were master businessmen. Uh, They had a keen ability to trade with colonies and tribes that no other people could trade with. The idea would be, if they were telling us today about their story, they could sell ice to Eskimos. That was a joke, but I guess it didn't go over very well. I guess you guys have heard that one before. I think my daughter's been telling me that for years. So, in the Bible, those Canaanites uh, that were trading in the Greece region and stuff came to be known as Phoenicians. And they were called by the Greeks Phoenicians. So, by the time that 3 BC rolled around, this area above Israel uh, was called Phoenicia. And, and, and it became, it was named that by the Greeks. So when Mark calls this lady a Syrophoenician woman, he's not making a derogatory remark about her. What he is, is he's telling her where she's from. She's a Camerian. She's an Oxnardian. She's a Ohioan. I'll keep trying on that one. I don't know if that's correct. The point is, she could have called and said she was a, Liba- a, a Libyan Phoenician, which is in the North Africa. But all he's saying is she's from this region. She's basically just saying, hey, they're from Camarillo or Oxnard or Ventura. And, and that's what he's saying here, uh, Mark, as he's writing this story. Now, this, this Syrian-born woman uh, puts Jesus on the spot because he's trying to hide out. He's having these huge crowds. And I don't know about you, but my rock star years uh, was hard to live. We'll let that one set for a little while and just, you know, those years of having people wanting to touch you and, you know, all that stuff. This guy is going through a ton of stuff. And if you've ever had even, you know, I struggle having four people after a service want to talk to me. And Jesus has got 20,000 people wanting to communicate. He's trying to hide out, but to no avail. And as this woman drops before Jesus, as she drops before Jesus... She, he says this controversial statement. Now, I don't know what translation you might have in your text today, but if you look at it, your text, the one I gave you, is very soft. This is like the PG rated. Yours might be very harsh in the way that it says. But here's what Jesus' controversial statement says. Jesus told her, first I should feed the, the children, my own family, the Jews. First of all, the first thing he says is, you're not part of my family. I am not going to even touch you. I'm not going to give you a smidgen of food. I'm going to feed my family first. And if we know Jesus, we're all part of his family. We're all adopted into Jesus no matter who we are. So he comes here and kind of says some strong statements. And it says, it isn't right to take food from our children and throw it to dogs. This woman on her knees is asking for help from a savior and he calls her. A dog? If I called any of the girls in my house a dog, I would be 
at my neighbor Dennis's house. And I'd have to ask for weeks if I could come back in. He calls this woman a dog. Now, the Gentiles were despised by the Jews. The Jews hated the Gentiles. They hated them for many reasons. And it wasn't just cultural differences. One of the differences that a Gentile had versus a Jew is the way that they ate food. The, the Jewish people, it's like the way you guys eat food and what you eat, is it's offensive. So that would be a cultural issue. The way they wash their hands, the Jewish, or I'm kind of like me. My mom was a Kaiser. She worked at Kaiser. So I washed my hands like a lot. I'm not even going to tell you how many times because I'm paranoid. But the Jewish people were very cleanly and they wanted to have these rituals before they ate. And these people didn't follow any of that. So there was a cultural issue that made them despise. But there were two other things that really focused, um, that they focused on that they really couldn't stand. Number one is they were pagans. They, they believed in all kinds of idols. They believed in all kinds of things. And we've talked about them over the years of the things that the Assyrians and other countries uh, worshipped. And so they were idolers and they, they idolaters. And then the other thing was, is they, the way that they lived their life, the sexual immorality, the way that they, they, they lived was, was immoral. And the Jewish people had blessings from Moses, oral and written trans, uh, uh, words on how to live by. And so these people were uh, living outside of what, what Scripture would say. So Jesus immediately gives this desperate mother crushing words for this plea that she has for her, for her daughter. He crushes her. So any ordinary person, if you come to Jesus today and you're struggling, and I guarantee you 20 or 30% of the people in this room are struggling today, if not 90%, have an issue before God. And you come before the altar here and drop to your knees and say, Lord, have mercy. I have a daughter. I have a financial issue. I have a drug addiction. I have my house in foreclosure and, and I need your help. And Jesus says, I'm not giving you anything, you dog. For the average person, it would be crushing. But this woman was not the average person. She was an amazing person. And she didn't allow this to crush who she was. She understood what he was trying to say. And, and she was really understanding. And, and the truth is, at this moment, you can look at this and you could say, Is Jesus... Giving this harsh statement as he, and has he turned into a racist or is he a bigot? Because these are harsh words. This ordinary woman, she gives a plea and he calls her a dog and pushes her aside. And many people in the world want to find a story like this and say, look, Jesus is a bigot. He's a racist here. He doesn't include. He's actually against. But the truth is what Jesus is doing here, he's vesting this lady or he's testing her. To see what kind of faith he has. If he just goes in and she falls down and goes, you're healed. What has she done? But if she stays through the test of what he's asking, great things can occur. And that can happen with you as well. He basically, it reminds us at this point when Matthew 7, 6, he talks about, uh, about some of the political tensions. It says, take the log, out of your, uh, the, the log out of your own eye before you look at the speck of the other person. And in Matthew 7, 6, he says, don't give dogs what is holy. Too often, we try and help people. There's some people, listen, there's some people in this world that are never going to accept Jesus. Sorry. I wish everybody would and have what I have. There's going to be some of our best friends, mothers, sisters, aunts, uncles, dads, moms that aren't going to accept Jesus. 
And sometimes we try so hard, we have to, Jesus is saying, don't, don't try and give dogs. Have you ever given your dog a snack and he doesn't even chew it? I'm like, hey, I just paid money for that. At least chew it. It's like my kid eating steak. You know, she doesn't even chew it. She just chokes on it. So chew it a little bit so you can under, grab a hold of it and, and experience the taste of that great ground beef I just gave you. But, uh, and that's what, that's what Jesus is referring to here. But what happens when this woman comes before Jesus, she gives this amazing answer, this mind-blowing answer that's basically this, the, the words that she says rivals any wisdom that might be in scriptures. Here's what she says. This faithful woman says, that is true, Lord, but even dogs under the table are allowed to eat scraps from the children's plate. Now, this statement is astonishing. It's got deep meaning here. It's got a huge meaning. Let me kind of unpack what this says. Here's what she's saying in our terms today. It's saying, yes, Jesus, I am a dog. Yes, Jesus, I am an outsider. Yes, Jesus, scripture has not been entrusted to me and my people. It's for the Jewish people. This isn't for me. But, she says, I'm a friendly dog. I'm one of those little dogs that's under the table expectantly waiting for a crumb to fall on the ground saying, I'll take anything that you have. That's the kind of dog. She's not a dog that's in a wolf pack or a, 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 a vicious dog. If you've ever been to Mexico, if you put the, the, the food not in the trash can properly, the dogs come and destroy the whole property. It's pretty scary. If you've never seen a dog pack like that, she's saying, I'm a good dog. I'm not one of those scary ones. And she comes to Jesus and makes this amazing statement saying, I'm not like those other ones. I'll take anything that you have, any kind of faith that you, anything that you can give me, I'll take. And what does he say in verse 29? He says, good answer. Now, on that note, I'm going to invite my friend uh, Kathy to come on up. Will you give her a hand as she comes up? Normally at this part of the message, I come up with a story that, uh, that to kind of enhance the message. But I was looking at Kathy on, on, on my vacation this week, and she had a great story about what a little bit of faith did in her life. And so uh, I'm going to ask her kind of to share that question. What is a little bit of faith in your life? How has that transformed you and changed you and your husband's life? I love this message about the Syrophoenician woman because it was just that little crumb that she asked for. And um, that was me. Um, it was uh, July 2nd, 1987. I'll always remember the day, and I remember exactly what I wore, and I remember what we were doing even in the moment. Um, my friend had asked me to go to church, and I just want to say at this point that if you have a friend that you um, are just asking to come to church, just keep asking them. You never know when the hearts are going to be ripe, because um, 28 years ago, a couple of days ago, 28 years ago, I gave my heart over to the Lord because my friend invited me to church. Amen. But before that, just a couple of years before that, um, my husband and I lived in pretty bad shape um, together. We had a friend I remember coming over the house and I was doing a line with him and we're drinking and we're smoking. And he says something about Christianity. And I said to him, um, I'm a Christian. And he says, I would never say that I was a Christian doing what we're doing right now. And I 
got so furious with him. And I thought, how dare he tell me what I am and what I'm not? And I told my husband I wanted him booted out of the house, and I never wanted to come back to my house again. And if you happen to be here today, I'm sorry. (laughs) Thank you so much. (laughs) Because that reeled over and over in my mind. Kathy, what are you doing? How are you living? Are you even trying to give God a chance in your life? You're just calling yourself a Christian on paper, but you're not living the life. And I just lived in such a, um, a way in my life that I had had an abortion when I was 19. I, and, uh, you know, I was ashamed of that, of course, for many years. But the Lord delivered me from that. Amen. Once I gave my heart to him that night, ni- July 2nd, 1987, let freedom ring. He totally changed my soul, picked up all those broken pieces that were in my heart. I came from a broken home. My mom had left the house by the time I was 14. We were living with my dad and my dad had a problem with alcohol. And I love my mom and dad, Lord rest their souls. My mother came to the Lord 15 years later. We started doing Bible studies with my sisters. Wave your hands, all my family started doing Bible studies with my sisters And my mom and my grandmother. So the Lord took that little crumb that I had in my life, that little piece of faith that I didn't even know I had. I didn't even want to go to church that night. My husband looks at me and says, where are you going? I said, I'm going to church. He goes, don't come home preaching to me. (laughs) I didn't even want to go. I told him, I don't even want to go. I'm just going because Ruth invited me. Shut up. (laughs) Leave out the house. You know, we were just in that foul place. And I leave out the house and God changed my life forever that night just by me going and saying yes to Jesus. So you don't know who you're going to transform. And also, I just want to tell you, Psalm 139, it's one of my favorites. And in it, it says that um, that's our memory verse. And in it, it says that his thoughts of me are more in number than the sand of the sea. And when I had no confidence in my life, when I was young and without Jesus, I kept on feeding myself with his word, feeding myself with that kind of love, the love that the father gives us, that I'm fearfully and wonderfully made. And he's taken all those broken pieces over the years and he's put them together and he's made a beautiful soul out of me. And I know that that's what he's doing for you too. So just let the Lord do a great work in you. Amen. Wow, she's on fire. She's ready to take off. Here, you want to do the rest of the message? Let's hear more of that. Amen. Thanks so much. So Jesus comes to her and says, good answer. Good answer. And from that good answer, the way she comes before the Lord, the way she puts all of her brokenness before God, she starts the process of truly healing and worshiping Jesus the correct way. He says, good answer. Now go home. For the demon has left your daughter, and when she arrived home, she found her little girl lying on the bed quietly, and the demon's gone. The demons are gone. When you take a little bit of faith, and you're willing to go through whatever it takes, even being called a dog, God can change and take that and transform you into a place that you could never be. believe. I'm walking proof. I lived like the dogs for years. And I kept getting crumbs and finally the crumbs sank into my life. 
And today, I'm up here. I have no reason. I'm just, as be- I'm just as good sitting down there and listening to the message than being up here. But this is where God has called me, and I'm grateful to be a part of what he's doing. He says, good answer. Here, he takes this unnamed woman. We call her the Syrophoenician woman. And she gets noticed for who she is. Her response is with deep humility and this amazing faith. Just like Kathy. An amazing faith. Going, not because she wants to go, but going because there's a calling into her heart that needs to go. And that's what happened to me. I went to a church while I was locked up. And God called me and said, go to this church. And from that night, I got down on my knees and prayed and wrote in this little man's book that I've accepted Jesus Christ. And I've never had to look back. Because my life has gotten better each and every day. When we take a little bit of faith, the smallest of crumb... Great things can happen. This woman was willing to take anything left over. She didn't even want the filet mignon. She was willing to take the gristle, if you know what that is. Some of you love that. I do too. That's why I'm so trimly shaped. But she comes and she's convinced. She's convinced that Jesus can heal her daughter and give her mercy and transform her whole family. I want to invite the band back up. And I want to get ready to to celebrate and worship God. And I want to see a response that you're going to make when we worship. But before we do that, does anybody like to take tests? Anybody? We know you do. You always are good at taking tests. You can recall. There's another one. Brother. Anyways, I want to do a test. This woman, as I was looking through the Bible, I'm like, what does this woman bring to us? What test does she make by this faithful journey that she has as she comes before the Lord? And what I want to do is I want to throw up this beatitude test. I want you to spend the next 30 seconds or so, maybe a minute if you're a slow reader like I am, and tell me which one of the beatitudes apply to this woman's story. So on Wednesday night, we do this. We do a breakout where we have some time where they talk. Look through this and check one. One or none or all of them if they all apply to this faithful woman story. So I'm going to give you a second just to kind of read it if you don't know it. This is in Matthew chapter 5 verses 3 through 10. And it's part of the Sermon on the Mount. So check and see if you know them. If not, read through and say which one is really one that applies to this story. If not all or maybe none of them do. So let's go to the answer so that there's not too much time here. Here's what I've kind of put in my list. Maybe your list is a little bit different. But the faith of this Phoenician woman, the one that gets noticed by God, number three is for sure true. She was poor in spirit. She was willing to accept herself and call herself a dog. And because of that poor in spirit, she receives the kingdom of God and the blessing from the kingdom Uh, From the king of heaven. She was one who mourned. I don't know about you. But as we go through mourning. She was mourning for her daughter. She was in a place saying. We need to change in our life. And she was mourning. And because she was mourned. She was comforted. She came before the Lord meekly. And inherited more than she ever imagined. She came before him. And imagined everything. She was merciful. She accepted being called a dog. And she gave a profound answer. And because she was merciful. God showed her great mercy. Now, I'm not sure if she was poor in in, uh, heart or pure in heart. I'm not sure. 
the way she lived and where she lived. It could say that she might not have been, but she could have been a very great lady. But I can't assume that. And verse 9, she's a peacemaker. If anybody's ever gone through a tough thing with a family member or a, 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 a child, it's hard. And all you want is a little bit of peace. And she asks for peace. And the king of heaven, the great I am, comes and brings peace. The last part is, was she persecuted by Jesus? Some people say yes, some people say no. But the point is, if she is persecuted by Jesus, by her, him calling her a dog, then she received the kingdom of heaven, and she received all that you can have with the glory of God. This beatitude is only done through people that serve Jesus Christ. If you want to live in these beatitudes, you need to have Jesus inside your heart, and you need to be able to mourn when mourning needs to be done. My family and I have been mourning. And as we sat there and watched Irene pass and my sister and my wife and my father-in-law were sitting there. My prayer was, Lord, teach us how to celebrate. Teach us how to celebrate this amazing woman. My biggest fan. Somebody I was never ready to say goodbye but when you put Jesus in our heart, our family has been able to walk through this. And we're going to have to walk many years beyond this. But we have Christ and my sister-in-law came to me and she said, she's happy. She's dancing in heaven. And now we get to celebrate. And our family now, you and I can walk through this together with our Lord and Savior and celebrate who Christ is. I'm sorry. No one who ever sought Jesus with great faith was ever turned away. Dog or no dog, Republican or Democrat, whatever race, whatever religion, wherever you've done, Jesus wants to bring you into his fold. And he wants to accept you and love you. He wants to liberally love you, liberally forgive you, and liberally give you grace. And then he wants you to pick up the words and start living a life that will make you a better person. If it's conservative, so be it. If you don't want to be called a conservative, live a life for Jesus. But if you take what Jesus has to offer and you're willing to say, I am going to change my life like Kathy did and how it transformed her husband... If you're willing to take that step, healing comes. Freedom comes. It's a true 4th of July freedom place. Because Jesus doesn't care where you vote. He cares where your heart is and knows where your heart is. If you're here today and you need a relationship or a reboot with Jesus, you're in the right place. There's freedom in this place. All we need is Jesus. Will you bow your heads with me? Father, we thank you for who you are and how you teach us how to live. We thank you that you can mourn when we mourn and you can laugh when we are ready to laugh. And we pray today, Lord, that if there's someone here that needs a savior, someone here that needs saving from themselves and from this world, that they can cling to a crumb that fell off the plate so that they can have a life of everlasting love through Jesus Christ. If that's you here today and God is calling you across the threshold into a relationship with Jesus, will you pray with me a violent prayer so that you can have great faith in the Lord? If you've been a Christian and you've walked away, recommit yourself. 
And I'm going to challenge everybody in this room to repeat after me so that someone is uncomfortable saying this prayer could say it together. Will you repeat after me? Father, forgive me. Come into my heart. Come into my soul. I receive that crumb. I know that you died for me and that you rose for me on that third day. So that I may have eternal life. I thank you for that, God. Bless me with your Holy Spirit. And teach me how to walk in your ways. All the days of my life. We say these things in your name.